Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio. We are very, very glad that you have joined us this morning. We are going to be talking about a topic near and dear to many, many military families and even their extended families. When you have a special needs child in the military, you are faced with additional challenges that come even even above and beyond what having a child with special needs, developmental needs, any number of uh, limitations, we'll call them, to be as you journey down to find a diagnosis, to find help, to find support, and it is not an easy juggling act to manage all of this. I'm here today with Elle Brown, uh, who is the mother of an autistic child. She is a budding entrepreneur that just keeps growing her businesses and her outreach. And she's written a wonderful new book called Mama Bear. And we will have co-host Jason McNamara join us shortly. But we're going to start today with just a quick little discussion and then move into more about what Mama Bear is about and, and how we can support our EFMP, our special needs families in the United States as well as worldwide. So I would love to introduce Elle Brown. She's joining us a second time uh, on our program to talk with us about some real changes that can be made with help, support, and a lot of blessings. And Elle, welcome to Military Network Radio. We're glad to have you back. Thank you for having me, Linda. It is such a pleasure. I would love for you to share this small sentence about yourself in terms of what you now do all at the same time. Well, uh, I'm a mother, an entrepreneur, running a company that focuses on early childhood education and training. Um, I'm a full-time PhD student um, researching family engagement with families of diverse young learners. And uh, But above all, I'm proudest of my super-duper kid, Ricky <laughs> who is on the autism spectrum. I, I love that, but I, I hope anyone else listening is thinking, my goodness, that is an awful lot to manage. But isn't it amazing that when it's your child, and I love the SDK, the super duper kid in the book, it, it's a very engaging book. And I encourage anyone with any knowledge or um, friends, family, etc., with aut an autistic child or special needs child at all to really grab her book and take advantage of the positive nature of, okay, we're going to take a challenging situation and make it better. And in Elle's case, you went on to make it better for many, many people. Can you talk a little bit about the special needs program and how the diagnostic odyssey, the, the journey from thinking about, I don't know that my child is 
reacting the same way as other children when you view them in playgroups, etc. When that gut feeling for the mama bear comes mm-hmm. up and then all the way how long it can take because I think many, many people um, who are not familiar with uh, an autistic diagnosis or a developmental disability diagnosis understand how long that odyssey and journey can be and how to get to the next step. So I think it would help our listeners if you would go into that a bit. Sure. Um, I love the word odyssey because it mm-hmm. was it was indeed an odyssey. It was a, it was in a journey. It was not an overnight process. Uh, my son was born and he appeared to be typically developing. He was happy and healthy and um all of the physical aspects of a child, they were apparent. Um, however, when he was about 16, 17 months, um, I started to grow concerned because he wasn't making any attempts to speak. Um, there was no language in the house. Uh, by that point, my soldier had gone to Iraq for a year and what I'd realized is that um, we had been feeling in the gaps of the language. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, look at Super Duper Kid. He's he's uh, playing with the toy. Oh, did you really like that ice cream? So we were actually talking to each other, and our child wasn't talking to us. Well, mm-hmm. when my soldier left, and it was just Super Duper Kid and myself in the house, I began to notice that it was really, really quiet. So I took my concerns to the pediatrician, And it was a very eye-opening experience because my skill set is that of a teacher um, with a specialization in early childhood education. And I I had that skill set prior to becoming a mom. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was in the doctor's office and explaining my concerns, um, I don't feel as though I was taken seriously. Mm -hmm. My child had a healthy heartbeat. All of his immunizations were up to uh, date. He was smiling. I was given a sticker and told I was doing a great job. I went home and um, I was like, well, you know, what would I do if I were in the classroom? And I noticed I was like, okay, well, I'll start taking anecdotal notes. I would, I would pretty much build a case. And that's what I did with my own son. I started to um, develop a program that would allow me to teach him and then evaluate his needs so I could communicate it to service providers. Um, that program later became Kinder Jam. Uh, one of my girlfriends saw me working with my son and suggested that I start to teach the program to other parents. And, and that's exactly what I did. But please understand, while I'm teaching other parents and working, I am still trying to convince service providers that, hey, there's something there. And I don't think you guys are listening to me. So I eventually told my um, pediatrician, hey, if you just give me a referral to a speech pathologist and the speech pathologist says that there is nothing wrong, Mm -hmm. then um, I'll I'll let it go for now. Mm -hmm. Well, we went to the speech pathologist and she saw some of the things that I was seeing. But by this time, I've been working with my son so much that I knew that it was more than speech. However, I knew that would be the easiest way to get in the door. Mm -hmm. So after a while of speech services, I thought that I would be heard a little more, and I was not. So um, I actually called a girlfriend who I taught with in Japan who had a son who displayed characteristics similar to what I thought my son would display in Mm -hmm. a few years. Mm -hmm. And she told me to reach out to the nearest teaching hospital 
and let them know what I was seeing. At the time, we were in California, so I called Stanford University in tears and said, I just need someone to put eyes on my child. And they heard me. They walked me through the process. And um, the oddest thing happened. When I took the evaluation to my pediatrician, who I've been talking to for years at this point, mm-hmm. when he wrote the evaluation, it said autism moderate. Oh, boy. Yeah. So we went into Stanford. Um, they did a behavioral assessment. And after the assessment at four and a half, mind you, uh, well, not quite four and a half, but four and three quarters. Uh, I'm sorry, four and one quarters. My son was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And this is an odyssey that we started at 17 months. You know, it's it's so fascinating because the typical time period for the diagnosis is exactly what you just described. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of devent- developmental pediatricians around. Exactly. Uh, and in the military, you're, you know, you're looking for super specialties at some bases and posts, and Mm -hmm. they just don't exist. And I think there's also a lack of knowledge about um, that. Don't just pacify the mom. It's not just a late bloomer. This is a child who really does have needs. And and the, the real sadness in this whole thing is that there are now diagnostic tests that can identify this through genetic testing from birth. And they are just not discussed very much, and they're not used a lot when they could be. Not that it's easy to ever hear that news. It is not, and we can talk about the aspects of that. Um, we're coming up on a break, but the, you know we can get into more discussion. But the diagnostic odyssey is very difficult, especially if you have a relocation in between, and new doctors, new you know friends and schools, and, and the whole nine yards. So. Uh, the behavioral assessment was huge, yes? It was huge. And again, um, my my skill set falls in education. So mm-hmm. I will say I know very little about medical developments when it comes to diagnosing children okay. early on. However, um, one of the things that I like to empower parents to do, especially military parents, to become their child's first educators very, very early Um, When you become your child's first educator very early, you can more easily become an effective advocate because that's essentially what I had to do. Now, had I known some of the things that I know now then, um, I would have done some things a little differently. And the reason I say this is because I second-guessed myself quite Mm -hmm. a bit very early in my journey. I know what I was seeing, but I was like, well, he's a doctor. You know, and I'm not. So therefore, he must know something. I don't want to be a pest. Whereas that's my job. I'm the advocate for this child who has no voice. Until he develops a voice, I am his voice. So therefore, if I had to turn back the hands of time, I would have just been that pest. I would have been that bee in his ear until he did what I needed him to do for my child. Mama bear. It makes perfectly good sense. And so for the benefit of this show, we will just let you know that there is indeed, and and Al, this was not available at the time you were searching, there Mm -hmm. is indeed a TRICARE demonstration project that will take your child and 
provide this very expensive, extensive genetic test mm. on base for free. And it's through TRICARE. So if you have questions about that, you know, go to our Facebook page and, and send a message. Um, but there are ways to obtain this kind of diagnostic testing that was not available then. So we always want to make sure that any new tool that exists can help. Because what you did was instinctive and smart, and it built into a business. And there's a lot of different intervention that went along with that, I believe. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just a, a marvelous story. And thank goodness that you had the background that you did have to be able to offer this kind of assistance to your son. It's, it's fantastic. We will be back after a short break. We're talking today with L. Brown, author, entrepreneur, founder of Kinder Jam, and we will be back after some short messages to talk more about autistic children and Mama Bear. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's words you never heard. Why does music give us chills? Goosebumps, or the medical term repletion, occurs while listening to music. That's because music stimulates a reward pathway in the brain, encouraging dopamine to flood the striatum, a part of the forebrain activated by addiction, reward, and motivation. Melomaniacs or passionate music lovers can get the chills from songs they are familiar with as they anticipate that long-awaited chord at the climax of the piece. Music, it seems, affects our brains the same way that chocolate gamma and potato chips do. I think I may need to stick to chocolate and potato chips because I tried piano lessons and I felt like a goose noodle. What's a word for a person who dislikes practicing the piano? A mesodactocletus. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at fitnessminute at annettehammond.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Elle Brown, author of the new book, Mama Bear, which talks about her, uh, not just her relationship, but her diagnosis for autism spectrum disorder with Ed, who we will call SDK on this program and as she does in the book as well. And 
you know, Al, one of the things you talk about so much is the the need to educate yourself um, mm-hmm. as you were going down this uh, path and this journey, because it, it's not something that just springs forward. You're a mom and automatically you're given that kind of information. So how did you educate yourself when you saw that there appeared to be some developmental difficulties? Oh, my goodness. Linda, I read everything I could get my hands on, whether it was a book in the library, whether it was something on the Internet, whether it was something that I heard on the radio and I wouldn't Google someone's name to read their particular website. Anything that anybody gave me about autism, I read. And that was before Ricky, too, got his diagnosis. I was looking at the characteristics. I was looking at some of the strategies that individuals use. I was an informal researcher. Mm-hmm. You know, though, if you weren't as focused as you were, you know, we, we have such a wide variety of moms. And let's face it, doctors are authority figures. Mm-hmm. And you're already in the military culture, which also is one of authority and mm-hmm. chain of command and all of that. How did all of that combine to either drive you forward or to maybe hold back at times so that it was not a linear path, but one of one step forward, two back, or two forward, Mm -hmm. one back. Did the culture help or hinder as you first went forward? Do you remember? I do. Um, At first, I I will say it did hinder. Um, Growing up in a society that um, at one time wasn't readily accepting of individuals with learning differences and physical differences, um, there is some taboo attached to talking about special needs mm-hmm. or talking about developmental differences. So it seemed to be a last resort type conversation. So they would talk about everything else before they would go to like, possibly this could be something that's going on. I say that because whenever um, I would go into a doctor's office, they would always say, well, is he doing this? Or can he do this? Oh, well, boys mature differently than girls. So this will happen in time. And even though I knew this to be untrue, uh, because of the amount of input I was giving my son, he should have had more output. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a pest. I know I keep saying that word, but I didn't want to be a pest. I was working within this organization and I, and I wanted to be a good member of this organization that Mm -hmm. I was living in. Um, it wasn't until we went to Junction City, Kansas, and it was time for my son's um, well baby visit. And this was an area that um, we weren't we weren't stationed necessarily. My soldier mm-hmm. was there training for um, a second deployment, and we went into a doctor that I didn't have a relationship with, and he asked me to disrobe my child. And um, because at this point he was about 16 months and he wasn't walking, mm-hmm. he said, can you what does he do when you tell him to give you uh, the toy? I said, well, you know, I never asked him mm-hmm. to give me the toy. Um, he says, well, what does he do if he wants something to drink? I said, um, does he ask you? And I said, well, he's never had to ask me for anything to drink. I've you know, I just make sure that he has drink. He says, well, what do you do? What does he do if you put him on the floor and say, walk? 
I said, well, I've never put him on the floor and asked him to walk. Because <laughs> one of the things I'm realizing now in hindsight is that when you are a parent of a child, you adapt your routine to your child's needs. So I'd only been the mother of one child, Ricky too. So right. therefore I adapted my behavior to meet his needs. So at that point, the doctor uh, told me to put my child on the floor and tell him to walk. Mm-hmm. And foolishly, I did it. Mm-hmm. And I put my son on the floor and he's looking at me and I said, walk. And he didn't. And at that point, I was like, oh, my goodness, what have I done? And I grab up my child and um, I, I leave the doctor's office and I'm in the truck and I call a girlfriend and I said, I failed my baby. In that moment, I was like, I didn't defend him. That was absurd. And on this cold hospital floor, in his diaper, I commanded him to walk. And I let someone else command him to walk. And I said, that was the first day that Mama Bear growled. No Mm -hmm. one heard it but me and my bestie. But I growled. And I said, never again, never again will that happen. You know, the interesting part is, if that was the reaction you had, and I assure, I'm sure that it absolutely was, do you look back on that and say, you know, I needed that as the goad to move forward, advocate, you know, more strenuously for my child? It was perhaps a mixed blessing? Well, I view everything in life as a blessing mm-hmm. um, because I can extract lessons from it. Um, I can't necessarily say that I'm glad that that experience no, happened. No, glad's not the right word. But, but, I am, yeah. are, but I am grateful for the lesson that I learned from that experience. I am grateful for the voice that I attained. I'm grateful for the fact that I can use it again and again and again to speak for parents, to parents, and to service providers and teachers. You know, and it's that voice of authority. It's the voice of having gone through it. You, you, you're living the life, mm-hmm. and that gives you a credibility that goes far beyond those who learn about it. So go back to when you were after that appointment. Mm-hmm. What steps did you take to, uh, to learn, to grow, to begin to advocate for your child? Because did you know at this point that speech and language help was available? Um, there's, there's other aspects that are available through the EFMP, the Exceptional Family Member Program, or were you still in that learning phase? No, actually... Um... One of my blessings, I was very familiar with the processes. Um, Prior to becoming a military spouse, I was a DOD teacher overseas. So I was quite accustomed to working with families um, and some families with diverse learning needs and the programs that were available to families within the military community. However, um, when you start out in your parenting journey, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. When you think of 16 months sound like a long time when we're having a conversation, but the first 16 Mm -hmm. months of motherhood, (laughs) it's a blur. It it is a blur. (laughs) So when you have a child at six months, your, your thoughts aren't necessarily on 
will my child have learning differences in the future? Mm-hmm. You are just trying to make it through the night. You're just trying to make sure you shower. You know, you're trying to make sure your child's <laughs> fed. So my my focus was not primarily on his developmental needs mm-hmm. in the future. My I was more concerned with his basic needs in the moment because I was also learning how to be a mother because being a teacher doesn't necessarily teach you how to be a mother. So I was still learning. Uh, when that situation occurred, uh, the very next week, we actually took a trip to, um, I believe it was Lawrenceville in Kansas. So we were only in Kansas for two months. And um, at this point, I was very, very, very aware that my child wasn't walking. And I don't necessarily think it was something I was as aware of. I knew he wasn't, but it wasn't something, it wasn't glaringly um, a concern. Mm-hmm. So uh, I watched him in a play structure in the, the mall, one of those soft play areas. So sure. I have this look of concern. And this woman walks up to me. I don't know her name. And she was my angel that day. Uh, she said, your baby is so beautiful. She gives me all these compliments. She's telling me about her kids and her grandkids. And she says, he has a light in his eye. And she says, your job as a mom is to always keep that light on. Hmm. And I walked away from there knowing that there were some things that I was going to have to do when I got back to Monterey. But my job was to keep the light on. My job was to make sure that I had a happy and well-adjusted child. So when it comes to parents focusing on um, diverse learning needs and, mm-hmm. and things that will happen in the future, I still tell parents to this day to focus on your relationship with your child. Focus on becoming your child's teacher and right. helping them explore life. And you will learn the things that you need to know when you do those things with intention. Such a valuable point to make, absolutely, it, because the relationship piece is often a challenge mm-hmm. with autistic children as well, and something that people take for granted. And I, I wonder if you'd speak just briefly, because we'll move right past it after the next mm-hmm. break, but I, I think you mentioned earlier that there's, you didn't use the word stigma, but you, there is, um, I forget the exact word you chose, but there is a stigma related to this. I am finding more and more times on Facebook these days, for example, that people are really educating the general public about Mm -hmm. children. And I am so grateful because that child that looks like they're having a meltdown and a tantrum may not. They may be just totally overstimulated. And I think that gaining some knowledge in the general public has to be valuable. Would you agree with that? Almost certainly. I can honestly say that the conversation has evolved so much um, in just the past eight years because my son is now 10 Mm -hmm. and it wasn't an everyday occurrence. But then again, social media wasn't as large as it is now. Mm -hmm. And I think what is happening is um, and this is just my personal observation that a lot of parents who have children with um, diverse learning needs and family members who have children in their families with diverse learning needs, they're now, you know, they're coming out and saying, hey, you know, this is my child and X, Y, and Z. And they they have the the confidence now in numbers to correct people immediately when things were said that, you know, might not be the the most correct way to state um, 
information about children with learning differences or developmental Perfect. differences or physical differences. Ellen, so we I have to go on a break now. I'm so sorry to cut you off. We will continue right after the break. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. and ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Listen up. Did you know recent studies are suggesting that women with skinny waists but sizable hips are smarter than other women? Scientists at the University of Pittsburgh and the University of California gave cognitive tests to a group of 16,000 women and girls of different body types and found the women with the greatest hip-to-waist proportions scored higher. Hmm, I guess that would make me a walking encyclopedia Britannica. No, hold on. That doesn't mean it's okay for us to be a powder pigeon. That's another name for a woman who's sizable hips can take up a whole supermarket aisle. Research suggests that the fat around fuller hips and thighs pulls higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which helps the brain. I'm not sure if I would rather be able to do the Sunday crossword puzzle or get into those jeans I bought 10 years ago. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with author L. Brown. Mama Bear is her new book about her journey with her autistic son, who is known as Super Duper Kid. And it's really an amazing story. Elle, I think you are an amazing woman in the way that you, I don't want to use the word attacked, but the way you approached this challenge in life. And these are not words a parent wants to hear, but having heard Mm -hmm. them and getting that diagnosis, and there's a long journey through the diagnosis understanding as well, which I think our listeners would relate to also, the steps that you take really help. And and have you found that when you were finding, you called your bestie, as you said, and you talked to other people, were you finally able to connect with other parents with autistic children in the, in the programs that are available in the military or outside? And did that peer networking help? Or did you still feel for a while that you were quite alone until you were able to make your own network? Well, um, my answer may not be the popular one, but it's my honest answer. That's um, the one we want. I purposely chose 
that's not to involve in support groups and in communities, because as I said earlier, um, the perception hadn't evolved at that time the way Mm -hmm. it has today. Mm -hmm. So I felt I had enough information as an educator and I had enough of a village um, in friends that I would work through this on my own. Um, Again, I I decided to go back to school and I got a master's in early childhood education so that I could better understand what my son needed. Uh, At the time, um, autism, was viewed, in my opinion, as something that happened to a family or something that happened to a parent or, you know, something that was a bad thing. And I didn't want that attitude. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would be fruitful for me or my child. So um, I chose to go through optimism and education. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to teach my child. I'm going to step into his world and I'm going to teach from the inside out. So with that, I was very, very, very protected Mm -hmm. of my son and my own attitude because even books that I would pick up, some of the books were speaking from a standpoint of like, oh, woe is me. This happened to us. And that that's just not how I saw this. But I will say this. um, I had such difficulty in pregnancies that I saw my son as such an extreme blessing. Mm-hmm. that I knew there was a purpose on his life and my life as the person who was chose to be his mother. Yep. You know, I, I think what you're also realizing is that you were doing what they they now call early interventions. Mm-hmm. And you maybe didn't call it that. You maybe called it, you know, I'm helping my child with language and, and movement and understanding and, and that sort of thing. But early interventions are so very important. So when you, I love how you just casually said, I went and got a master's in early childhood education, <laughs> because we know that, that doesn't just happen. And so you had your hands full. Um, but as you learned more and more about early interventions and early childhood education and how to help your child and other what kind of empowering did that give you? Oh, my gracious. Um, when I was armed with education and strategies, in addition to the passion that I had for my own child, mm-hmm. the world just opened up and I found my purpose. And that's where, how you speak about early intervention. That's the space that I live in now. Mm-hmm. So that's where I do the majority of my work is in working with um, parents and teaching them strategies and skills they can use to work with their little ones. Because one of the things that we believe in early childhood education, we don't necessarily separate early childhood education, early childhood special education, because Mm -hmm. many children at young ages are undiagnosed. So therefore, we need to empower parents very early on with all of the resources that are out there. Um, Also, all of the strategies that they can use to teach their own children so that they can then go through this process and understand some of the things that they they should be looking out for as they go through their daily life routine. So that if something comes up and says, oh, my goodness, I think I might need to get a second set of eyes on this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen too long, which is the early intervention. And you can get someone to come in early to intervene so that we can then help that baby maximize its personal potential. Isn't that the truth? And, and by being able to provide the early interventions, it can make a profound difference on the child. Most and definitely. It, it really is interesting. I loved also, as I was, again, researching for the program, that you were always very careful to make 
everything a fun education experience. And children have proven, whether typical or autistic, that if it's fun, there is a much greater uptake in terms of learning. Talk a mm -hmm. little bit about that. Well, you know, when I taught in Seoul, Korea, I was on an army base. I had a assistant principal who came into my classroom to do an observation. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she was like, um, I was Miss Hatley at the time. She said, Miss Hatley, you are a good teacher, but I want you to strive to be a great teacher. And a good teacher can teach a hundred things one way. Mm -hmm. A great teacher can teach one thing 100 ways so that every child has an opportunity to learn. Now, I didn't fully understand or had a place to put that bit of advice. However, when I became the mother of my own child and I was responsible for this one pupil who happened to be <laughs> my son, right. I um, learned that I needed to teach one thing 100 ways until he got it. If I need to teach it 202 ways, mm -hmm. I would do that because I was just so invested. So with I already believed in um, play-based learning, and I already mm -hmm. believed that young children learn through play. But what motivated me to find so many different strategies that I wanted my son to win. So right. we had to paint the color red. If we had to go strawberry picking, point out the strawberries that were red. If we mm -hmm. had to face paint red. If we had to put out, dye some rice the color red. I was going to teach the color red a million different ways. And mm -hmm. we were going to make it fun and engaging because what I realized is that once he acquired a skill, it was his. Right. And then we can move on to the next one. So that's one of the things that I talk to parents about, you know, make it fun, make it engaging, make it a part of everyday life because once they get the skill, they got it. Amen. And, and I love also you're describing dye the rice red, you know, do those kinds of things. What you're also talking about is engaging all of the senses. Exactly. Which also really helps autistic children and typical children because there's there's so much to learn in life and especially if they have a sensory processing um, sensitivity, it mm -hmm. really can help as you take steps and if it's part of education, if it's part of everyday life, it really it makes a difference in how they perceive the next step. So as you said, they own it. And then how do you add on to that? Well, from there, for me, with my son, I took that as information. Because again, I'm a researcher now. Mm -hmm. So I believe in, you know, gathering evidence. Mm -hmm. So I used everything that I learned in all of these activities as evidence that allowed me to go in and speak more confidently about my son, his abilities, and his needs. Mm -hmm. So now that he's a school-age child, we are in IEP meetings. So mm -hmm. when I go to an IEP meeting, I go into the IEP meeting with my goals. So my soldier and, <laughs> and did I, they cringe when they see you coming? The first time, but now they, they know. <laughs> they know, <laughs> here comes Ms. Brown. But my soldier and I would sit down and we will say, okay, what are you seeing in Super Duper Kid? And I'll say what I'm seeing in Super Duper Kid. And then from there, we will write the goals that we want mm -hmm. for our child. Now, because I've gone back to school again, now I'm working on a PhD, I'm better able to write goals that are measurable. But when we first started, not all of my goals were measurable, but it was what I wanted to see 
my child have at the end of the school year. So when you're doing all these projects at home with your little one, if you're seeing that, oh, you know, he's having challenges organizing material as he um, as he gathers things. So you may want to bring up to his occupational therapist in the next IEP meeting, can you help my child organize his material when he's packing up for the school day or when he's unloading when he comes off the bus? Because if he's having those concerns at home, then he's most likely having them at school as well. So when I work with Ricky too, I'm also looking to see what type of goals we're going to have for the future. Brilliant. I mean, brilliant. So as you were doing this, were other parents and moms starting to see what was happening and to mimic or to follow the things that you were talking about? Oddly enough, it occurred on social media. So it was not so odd. Okay. (laughs) Because it wasn't necessarily the people in my immediate community, because in Kinder Jam, I worked specifically with, um, early childhood education, not Mm -hmm. as much with school age. We've not, we've just started working with school age children, but still early childhood. Mm -hmm. So I would share personal stories about Ricky too. I'm a Facebook oversharer and I would have parents show up (laughs) in my inbox. Okay. And they were like, well, how did you do this? Can you show me how you did X, Y, and Z? I would have family members of individuals say, Hey, can my auntie follow you can my sister follow you she's Mm -hmm. just gotten a diagnosis and that's actually how the mama book bear came about um i was writing so much to individuals i said you know what let me just write it all out just my narrative just my story so that if someone has a new diagnosis they could sit across from me at their kitchen table and we can have a conversation but it's just in a book you know, it's brilliant. Have you ever thought about putting this online as well? Um, you know, I'm growing now to start a blog. I, I have a little bit of a blog going mm-hmm. now, Mama Bear blog. But I'm now noticing that there is an audience out there that spans beyond my, my right. network on Facebook. So I'm moving there, but I am a full-time PhD student. So <laughs> <laughs> Yet another one happen. of those blithe comments, right? <laughs> so it will probably... Uh, happen in between semesters. Oh dear. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because telehealth and Skype are now being used for observational with the developmental PED, you know, on bases and things where there isn't one. So there, this has too, as you go forward, it's very exciting. It, it is. It's an exciting time because information is so readily available to parents right in their living rooms. You know, and I I think it makes parents feel so much more comfortable when they can log on, see someone who's gone through this, be able to ask the questions and and really get a grounding. We're talking with author L. Brown and Mama Bear, and we have a short break. We'll be right back after these messages. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey there, it's Christine Gallagher from She's Got Clients.com. I'm really excited to share with you the first annual Get Clients Online giveaway. I have gathered a spectacular group of contributors who are providing you with amazing gifts that will help you get cash flow in clients in less time 
online. So I've teamed up with more than 50 other business industry leaders to bring you templates, checklists, and other valuable goodies to grow and scale a sustainable business that brings you more income with less effort. So all you need to do is head over to getclientsonlinegiveaway.com, put your name and email address in, and you'll get instant access to more than 50 free business building tools, templates, products, and services, including Facebook funnel templates, LinkedIn cheat sheets, sales scripts, and so much more. That's getclientsonlinegiveaway.com. Head over there and enjoy your free gifts. six golfers in history have ever shot a hole-in-one while taking part in the Ryder Cup. Of course, the hole-in-one isn't a phenomenon for professional golfers only. Hackers, whiffers, and foozlers get them, while some PGA Tour pros still await their first. According to Golf Digest, who has been tracking info for more than 60 years, the odds of getting a hole-in-one for a professional is 5,000 to 1 and 12,000 to 1 for the rest of us. Tiger Wood shot his first hole-in-one one when he was only six years old and john elway hit a hole in one on his 40th birthday now there's a good reason to frolic gozine or celebrate i figured out why golf instructors insist you keep your head down and look at the ball it's so that you can't see them laughing it's i'm carolyn davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app too funny for words Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. You know, Elle, as you wrote the book, I noticed when I was reading it that it was particularly accessible. This wasn't something that was jargon and and medically based and, and really scary to read. It was the story of a mom and it was accessible and and i'm imagining that you chose that perspective correct i i did um there are a lot of books out there that offer clinical information and i i didn't want to offer that type of information in, in a book i wanted to have a candid conversation with a reader i want to illustrate that you know i was a young woman with dreams and aspirations and a uh, a vision for life. And I was blessed with a child that was different than the vision. And it just blossomed into the most beautiful relationship because I really want to illustrate that you are prepared to parent your child. You have all the God given gifts needed to parent the child that you were blessed with. And I wanted to illustrate the budding relationship between a young woman and her new child. And then when he enters about kindergarten, the focus is less on me and mothering and more meet this personality, meet this, meet this child. And then we go through all these stories. Of, it's actually my journal of watching this young person grow and develop into his own individual. It's, it's a beautiful way to approach it again with the positive perspective and the the knowledge, you also have some exceptional knowledge in terms of how to really reach 
children and parents as well. And and I'd love it if you could tell us more about Kinder Jam and your plans for it and the future, because I imagine our readers are going to be going to kinderjam.com as quickly <laughs> as they can get there, sitting in front of a computer right now. It's kinderjam, K-I-N-D-E-R-J-A-M.com. And talk to us a little bit about how you took this challenge and turned it into a wonderful resource for parents and educators, um, both in the military and outside the military, because let's face it, autism is a, a, an issue everywhere. Well, Kinder Jam has evolved beautifully. Um, it first started out that um, I was like, wait, wait a minute. If I can go into a doctor's office with the background of having worked in a classroom and knowing what I'm looking at and still be given SpongeBob sticker and sit on my way. What, <laughs> what is happening to the parent who's going in with limited information right. about child development? So I was like, well, if I start these classes on our military installation, at that time we were an Ord military community in um, Seaside, California, in Monterey County. And I said, well, I'm going to start Kinder Jam, just the parent engagement program where you bring your little one in and we just become our little one's teachers. And I love the way that you talked about multiple intelligences and um, learning through touch and feel. And mm -hmm. and so we that's what Kinder Jam is. It's kinesthetic and tactile learning, which means that we, we learn through touch and feel and movement. So I wanted to make a fun and engaging activity that parents could do with their little ones so they could act actually step into their little one's world and see how they learn. Also giving them a, an opportunity to be around other parents who had children of similar ages. We didn't want to compare children, but we wanted to give parents a frame of reference. We wanted something a little more involved than um, a play group where I was disseminating information. I actually wanted to be a facilitator of these mm -hmm. learning pods between parent and child. Um, from there, Kinder Jam grew very quickly because in my classes, many of the ladies were uh, military spouses who were also stay-at-home moms like myself, and they had uh, teaching backgrounds. So they were like, well, if you package it up, we would love to take it to our next duty station. And Kinder Jam grew to uh, 16 states and 11 countries uh, in a Johnny Appleseed way. A military mm -hmm. spouse would go one place, she would teach someone. They would contact me. They would then become a Kinder Jam instructor. I didn't do any marketing. They would come and find me, and then we would roll out the program on a military installation or in their community. Well, now I have a school-aged child, and I am learning differences. That's why we've now evolved into working with school-aged children. So we now mm -hmm. offer camps as well as um, after-school programs mm -hmm. that all educate children in an inclusive learning environment, but also in an informal learning environment, because we believe a lot in play and social. Mm -hmm. But what we are doing now for parents, we are learning that we need to have a more global platform because our instructors can only go so far. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing, we're going to be bringing in modules to the website that parents can then participate in. So like you can say, okay, week one, what do I do with my child? Okay, we're going to read this book. And if you read this book, you can then do this activity. And this is, these are the objectives and these are the skills that we're looking for. We want to give parents an opportunity to work at home with their young children, because now I'm seeing the benefits of the things that we did when Ricky too was very young, now that he's a fourth grader. And I right. want to make sure that every parent has that opportunity. You know, I, I love that. I, I wonder too, because I, I know that this is happening more and more often. Do you 
also help with these educators to go in and explain to a classroom about what the differences may be or to other teachers or groups or all the way to law enforcement. You know, there, there really is such a, a diverse group of people that require um, perhaps a little more cultural competency with understanding what the needs of special needs families are. And I imagine that you have some impact in that area. Oh my gracious, that is my newfound passion. <laughs> that is actually what prompted me to go back to school to pursue a PhD because it's an early childhood education, early child special education, but my secondary is teacher and teacher education. There you go. So um, like last week or the week before last, I was at George Mason University and I was a guest lecturer there for um, pre-service and in-service teachers. It was a master's level course and they were um working with families of diverse young learners. And tomorrow I'll be going back to George Mason University, but I'll be um, with their therapist uh, talking about the parent perspectives, healthcare providers, and working with families with diverse physical and learning needs. So with children with diverse physical and learning needs. And in addition- Because unless you do it 360, it's really very challenging. But if you can work with all of the players in, in a, uh, an arena. I imagine it makes a difference. How is this being received? It's actually being received well. Again, I've not had to market. Um, preschools have been reaching out to me. Fairfax County has had me come in and train their preschool teachers as well as even their camp counselors. I went in and, and trained camp counselors on facilitating inclusive play. Now, that was really exciting I'm to sure. work with uh, young college students who are about to go into summer camps where they were going to service, you know, all these children throughout the summer. Um, one of the other things that I've, I'm doing now, uh, my research is about the narratives of parents of children with learning differences, because I feel that um, in telling the stories of parents, we can then share the human side to service providers, because research says that uh, 57% of all children with disabilities spend 80% of their time in general education classrooms. Mm-hmm. And general education teachers, much like parents who uh, are with new diagnosis, aren't as prepared or don't feel as prepared to work with children with specific learning needs. So I, I plan to use the research that's found in the stories of parents to, to give teachers and service providers an extra pocket of sensitivity when they go to deal with families. I'll work with families with diverse young learners. That is so valuable because stories are an age old way of learning. Mm -hmm. It's how oral history came down, you know, hundreds of years ago. And by sharing the narratives and the stories and the learning, it humanizes it again, coming back to what you said earlier Mm -hmm. and that positive perspective and, and learning that way doesn't make it feel, again, it takes away the stigma. It offers the opportunity and the potential as opposed to the differences. Does that make sense? It does. Because the thing is, um, I am a teacher and I was a teacher before I was a mother. And I realized that had someone placed a child, excuse me, exactly like my son in my classroom, Mm -hmm. although I had a great heart, I wouldn't necessarily know what to to do mm-hmm. because teachers are seasonal, whereas parents are, are, are lifetime. So I do believe going in, like you said, oral history, going in and telling those stories mm-hmm. will 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 help individuals. Um, I'm not quite sure if I answered your question just 
as you needed me to? Did I? You absolutely did, because I think that we learn through stories, we learn through music, we learn through all these different modalities, depending on how we learn. And what you're pointing out is that autistic children learn in a different way. So the way we, you know, first identify the best way that your child will respond, everyone has different potentials, but maximizing the potential is is really our duty and mm-hmm. our, our love of our children. I mean, it's it's what we do. And I, I think that that's why I love the aspect Kinder Jam. And you are also offering these services throughout the military. Can you explain to our audience about that? We have just a couple of minutes left. Sure. Um, we've had an exceptional uh, family advocacy program, purchase copies of uh, Mama Bear to give to their families in the Exceptional Family Member Program, as well as um, parents who receive new diagnosis. Um, that's through Army Community Service. I've gone in to work with uh, the Marine Corps, and we've done family engagement projects with them, just giving families an opportunity to learn in a safe and inclusive learning environment and, mm-hmm. and empower parents to work as their child's, young, um, their child's first educator. Um, we've also gone into uh, the new parent support service, new parent support program, and we've uh, done training on facilitating play groups, on getting the the individuals who work within the new parent support program because they're coming from nursing and they're mm-hmm. they're coming from administration, but they're working with families with young children. Some of those young children, again, like we said, are undiagnosed because many children don't receive their diagnosis to about the age of three and beyond. So they have the opportunity to empower parents to help them while they have them as an audience within their play group. So I go in and I do things like that. And I've also um, trained with their uh, Child Development Center teachers um, on, you know, using multiple intelligence, or like what we talked about, um, the music, the movement, the touch and the feel to teach children so that they can reach everyone. So I've done quite a bit of work with the military and still do quite a bit of work with the military. I love it. You know, Elle, thank you so much for joining us today on Military Network Radio. I absolutely love your perspective of of a positive gratitude uh, outlook these diverse learning needs of children are not going to go away and your book and kinderjam.com are all excellent tools. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to military network radio and we will be back next week with another great show for you. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your 